0: Hi, I'm Amber Cook. Welcome to my podcast, The Dragonfly Connection. Join me every Wednesday for open, honest, and real conversations about change, transformation, and resilience to inspire and empower you. This episode is sponsored by HealingWays.com. Find verified wellness professionals and holistic health resources at Healing Ways. That's HealingWaze.com. many of us have made a conscious choice to do something like go to school, pick a career, enter a relationship with someone, get married, get divorced, the list goes on and on. And then later you realize it may not have been the best, end quote, decision. What do you do in that situation? As for me, I'm a commitment person, so I don't immediately bail, but I'm also not afraid to bail when I do so. I give it time, I look at every angle, I do the work to suss out whether this is just a temporary feeling or if it's truly time to make a change. And then usually I go for it. And then there are the times the universe forces the change, such as in the case of the pandemic or in my guest case, a life-changing medical misdiagnosis at just 25, tangled in with the death of a loved one. Talk about trauma on so many levels. In our conversation today, Lynn said something that totally resonated. She said, I don't really want to die. I just don't know how to deal with all this crap that just happened in my life. That's her expressing how she felt at the time all this was going on. How many of you have felt like that? For me, it totally resonated. In this episode, my friend and colleague Lynn Delmastro thompson of Heartfire Healing shares how she dealt with it and how her own traumatic experiences showed her her resilience, the resilience of her body, and just the resilience of bodies in general. She says that those events put her on the path to what she's passionate about rather than just being miserable pursuing a career she didn't love. Her passion now is helping others live healthier, happier lives and inspiring them to make sound medical choices. The message she wants everyone to hear is that just because a doctor has said an illness is chronic or incurable doesn't mean that it has to be a life sentence and that Western medicine isn't the only approach to healing. She's so passionate about this, she wrote a book on this topic called You Are Not Your Diagnosis. No matter what you're going through right now, Whether it's a medical issue or who knows. I mean, the list is huge of all the things that we all go through on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. Little traumas, big traumas, scary things, good things even. But no matter what you're going through right now, whatever whatever changes you're going through, I think that this episode is going to inspire and empower you to not only make changes To become an advocate in your own health, which is super important, but also an advocate in your life. Obviously, I know quite a bit about your story, not just because I read the book, because we're friends, and I've even gotten probably more details, but most of it is in your book. Um, You Are Not Your Diagnosis is the name. So uh, for those that haven't read it yet, or maybe even just want to get to know it more from directly from you listening to you that's what this is about so my listeners can hear your story and how it has changed you because it is inspiring and you obviously have used what you went through to help other you're now using that to help other people um so we're going to be talking about a medical misdiagnosis yes. that's that's the big the big focus um and I found some interesting and scary information this morning as I was doing some research um, that obviously you know that you're not alone. That's why you wrote the book. That's why you like to share your story with people. Um, in 2018, CNBC reported that medical errors are the third leading cause of death in America. And that's one I think I had heard before, but
1: um, did you I know about that? I think I might have seen something like that when I was... I can't remember all the statistics
0: I found when I was writing the book. Yeah, I was going to say, because that was about the time you were writing the book, right? Or you were at least getting that formulated. Yeah. Um, And then a BMJ quality and safety report written in 2019 found that over 12 million adults who seek outpatient medical care receive a misdiagnosis. Wow. And what that translates to... yeah. Is one out of every twenty, wow, yeah, so so thank you for coming <laughs> for coming on, and yeah so so before you share about your diagnosis, I want to back up and have you just tell me a little bit more, because I know you now, like I know you since you've been through it all, and it 's now passed, and you 've grown through it and you 've changed. What were you like? before that the illness that eventually led to the misdiagnosis
1: so before i got sick i was um, pursuing a phd in history i was kind of really just focused on that as my career path and i actually was kind of miserable Um, (laughs) emotionally yeah yeah um I went to grad school straight out of college and kind of the me of now looking back is like, oh, I know why I did that. I was like scared to get a job and be what I called, you know, an adult. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people would probably feel the opposite, that grad school would be way more terrifying than going out and, you know, (laughs) earning a living. For me, it wasn't, you know, it was school was very comfortable. I always kind of excelled at school. And so I was like, oh, well, what do I want to do when I graduate from college? Not quite sure. I really love history. Maybe I'd like to teach. You know, I was really inspired by my advisor in college. And so I thought, oh, what the heck, you know, I'm just going to pursue this path because it was kind of the thing that felt like I had the most interest in. Mm hmm. And as soon as I got into that program in 2001, I was like, what the heck am I doing here? Um, I watched as all my friends, you know, or my new colleagues were just like excitedly arguing about these 500 page books that we had to read each week. And I was like, what's going on here? Like, I'm not excited about any
0: of this. I can't even imagine you yeah I can't I know that you wouldn't be excited about that I just can't imagine that that's something you chose (laughs) well I love doing primary research yeah the thing that I didn't
1: know getting into grad school is that before you get to do any of that you spend like years you know reading about like the French Revolution and what everybody else has argued about the French Revolution and then you argue you about what they've written and are cute and it's like this is really not what I was signed up for in my mind
0: yeah can I go to an archive now because that, <laughs> that sounds a lot more fun <laughs> okay so you were miserable in school and you were already kind of getting hits that that wasn't that wasn't right for you even though it was something yeah. you chose right it just was like, wasn't right for you
1: oops, wrong door, you know, and and I remember conversations even with my mom where I would say that. I'm like, I don't really like this. This isn't really, you know, what I thought it would be, and she'd say, well, what do you want to do, sweetie? And I was like, I don't know, you know, and so she kind of encouraged me to keep going until I figured it out. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if I could time time transport back to myself then I'd be like Lynn just just stop you know it's not as scary to go get a job as you really think it is just go get a job and like figure your life
0: out (laughs) oh hindsight yes 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 so were you in school so did you switch majors did you switch school I can't remember okay so you were I was just so that about three years into the
1: program is when kind of all of this stuff started happening for me health wise. And I was yeah. just kind of still trying to shove myself in the wrong slot, you know, like maybe it'll get better. I don't know. Maybe I'm supposed to be miserable. Cause you know, grad school is supposed to be hard work. All of the, the stories I told myself in uh-huh. my mind.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So you were headed towards what you had hoped I mean, it was gonna possibly turn into a career of some sort and you were in yes. school and not really feeling it. <laughs> exactly. And then all right, so now's the time. Start so I you think, got so you started getting sick. What what Well, what actually I, I didn't the story doesn't start with me
1: starting to get sick. The okay. story starts with me going to have, have elective surgery in the summer of two thousand four. That's right. Okay. And so the elective surgery was going to be a breast reduction. And so nothing was really wrong health wise. It was just me wanting my body not to hurt so much because Mm -hmm. my back was always painful since my teenage years. Um, This was something I had wanted to do even when I was like 17 or 18, but I was scared to do it. So Mm -hmm. I finally got myself to that place. And, you know, they did all of the, I saw the surgeon, did the consult, you know, get out everything scheduled, did even the day of all the markings, go for the pre-op blood work. And then I get a phone call the night before the surgery and, you know, hearing the surgeon call was kind of alarming to begin with, cause I didn't expect, I just expected I would go to the hospital the next morning and start the process. Yeah. And he said, your pre-op blood work looks off and, you know, don't panic yet because maybe it could be a lab error. I think that was probably the first time I even thought about something like that being possible, you know, he said, sometimes samples get switched. Sometimes, you know, things happen, go back. Can you drive over to the hospital, you know, and run the panel again? So I do that, get a call as soon as they had processed it and he got the results and he said, yeah, it's not a lab error. I'm sorry, I can't do surgery, and you need to go see your primary doctor as soon as you can. <laughs> what were you thinking? You I was like, "What? You know he didn't give me any more information than that, so I was kind of like shocked, and like the only information I had was something was wrong with my blood work. Mm-hmm. I was like, what does that mean? I have no idea what that possibly means. Yeah So I was just scared of, yeah, of you know. No information, probably not very restful night's sleep after that phone call, you know, just wondering and wondering when I could get a doctor's appointment. And then I get the doctor's appointment, I think the next day. It's been so long, I can't remember, you know, how quickly that happened and more tests you know more labs because that's what they do to try to figure out what's going on Mm -hmm. and then the next thing I know I get a phone call from a doctor who I had never heard of before which again is like you're kind of like a strange doctor is calling me this is this is really abnormal, you know, doctors don't usually call people to begin with. And then, you know, like, especially if you're not their patient and he said, well, how are you feeling? And I'm like, well, other than freaked out that you you know, some stranger is calling me, um, I feel fine. And he said, okay, well, as long as you don't have any symptoms tonight, come see me at the hospital. I'll meet you there tomorrow. And I'm like, (laughs) And then again, it's like, what symptoms? You know, he told me he was a gastroenterologist, but I never got uh, like what symptoms I was supposed to be looking for. Oh my God. And and not even any clue or hint as to what was going on. No, you know, and I think I was so shell-shocked, you know, looking back at that.
0: I think now I would go, well, what am I supposed to be looking for? (laughs) Right. But I think like you back then honestly, since through, before all you've learned through this process, you were probably more like, unfortunately, most people. Yes. They, the doctor calls, the doctor says something, we just smile and nod. Like some people don't even ask questions. They leave the doctor's appointments, not even knowing what's going on. So it doesn't sound unusual, especially at, how old were you at the time? 25? Yep. 25. So. You wouldn't ask more questions and you're shocked (laughs) and you're scared.
1: Right, exactly. But it's kind of funny to think back and be like, I remember just being like scanning through my body that whole night and being like, I don't know, like, do I feel a twinge of pain here or do I, you know, like, is there anything that I'm noticing? Cause I didn't know what I was even supposed to be.
0: I was like, you were fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? We're just like going through life, and oh my god, exactly. Not not emotionally happy, but not physically yeah. sick. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. So, did you go see the guy the next day? Yes. Yeah. So, I go to the hospital. I get checked in. I talk to him, and he says, "Well, I think that you've clotted off the veins that drain your liver." And I'm like, "That doesn't sound good. Like, I don't think that's supposed to happen." And Then he says, you know, we have to figure out why that happened because that shouldn't be happening. So I'm going to send this hematologist in to, you know, work on your case and and see if he can figure out why that happened. So, you know, that guy comes in and that was a whole nightmare of an experience of, you know, a a doctor with poor bedside manner doing a bone marrow biopsy with no real sedation.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, that's the. I, when I think back of the whole thing, that's like the most traumatic memory I have of the time because he said to me, It's just going to be pressure. You're just going to feel pressure. It's not going to hurt. And it hurt like nothing I've ever experienced. Like my whole body felt like it was on fire when he was that's trying. So you know, and I was like, How did afterwards I was angry? Like, how did he claim that? you know, it was just going to be pressure. Did he ever have one of these before? Right. Oh, wow. And he couldn't even finish it. Like, I I just couldn't be still because the pain was so excruciating. So he had to just abort it and say it's going to be done later. And it ended up being done later at
0: a different hospital when they transferred me. Wow. Wow. So you were just being poked and prodded and... And, and they were just – were they giving you any more information than just – Not not a whole lot. Just, you know, we're trying
1: to figure out what – there's something has to be going on with your blood to make you clot off these veins. We need to get the veins to open back up. They've never done that at this hospital here where you live right now and, you know, where you are because it's rare that – that this happens. So we need to send you to another hospital in a different city. And so they eventually sent me up to San Francisco to the hospital there and more doctors, more poking and prodding, another bone marrow biopsy, which was successful. And then finally, it was probably, I think I'd been there about 10 days in that hospital by that point. The hematologist on staff there that was kind of the head of my team came in Mm -hmm. and you know I knew at that time it was like okay we're gonna get the diagnosis today and you know terrified of what that was gonna be sitting there and what he said it was at that time was chronic myelogenous leukemia
0: Hmm.
1: okay and how did you feel? Having that? <laughs> Just terrified. I think my first thoughts were, does this mean that I'm going to need ke- chemo? Because I had mm-hmm. always kind of had a fear of that being something that I would need and not something I really wanted to go through. Not that I think anybody really wants to go through. Chemo. Yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, even thinking to myself, like, I don't think I even added that part in the book. It's only been kind of shared more recently of, as my story. Like if that's part of the process for me I don't know if I'm gonna do it I don't know if I would want to just kill myself like I just all these thoughts flooded my head of like what's gonna happen to my life and just being in terror of yeah and luckily luckily he said pretty quickly it doesn't require chemo so I kind of (laughs)
0: got out of that (laughs) thought spiral (laughs) kudos to that doctor in that moment anyway yes okay that's good so you took that. So you knew that wasn't going to happen, right? Um, and you were, but you were still, I'm sure, just terrified. And and your health at that point, after being poked and prodded and treated, just almost like an experiment. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> How were you feeling physically at that point? Were you having, were you starting to feel?
1: Yes. Yeah. So even before they transferred me to a different hospital, um, when I was in the hospital in Santa Barbara, I think a couple days in my belly started to swell up and I look like at one point I was like six months pregnant because I had all of this fluid in my belly because my liver couldn't work properly. So it was like all of this fluid just builds up in your body. If your liver gets compromised in that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so that certainly did not feel very good. In fact, when we flew from Santa Barbara up to San Francisco because you know, medical transport wasn't really like, you know, you have to be critical for them to do something like that. So we took a commercial air flight and I remember my mom and I, like it was very uncomfortable to just walk around with this big belly and, you know, I was tired. I didn't feel well. Yeah. Oh, that. And, and so You said that was, like, a 10-day process, or? Yeah, between trying to figure out what what the underlying blood disorder was, they had to go in and do a process to balloon open uh, my liver, the veins. So they actually go in through your jugular, kind of like they would if they were doing something in your heart. Yeah. And, you know, put a balloon in and open it up. And so and i've actually had that done a couple times after that like when it started to close back down a bit and i don't respond very well to the conscious sedation like it doesn't really work on me so i'm like completely lucid
0: <laughs> oh wow
1: so, terrible yes i have memories of being on the table yeah. and you know feeling the pressure on my neck and all sorts of things
0: wow wow so you know whether whether it was it was your health was ready to decline, you know, maybe it was, Um, but it sounds to me, you know, almost like it's, like, the placebo effect, in a way, like, you were obviously having some issues going on physically, but being told that you're sick, and be, and then all the stuff they were probably pumping your body full of, it actually, like, made you feel (laughs) sicker like probably I
1: mean just the trauma of it I I think I literally was clotting off the veins of the liver and that was going to be you know a problem but you know going through this whole process and being treated like you know just a a body, like I always remember people coming in, you know, and that care team in San Francisco. And because what I had was so rare, especially in somebody young, it's like, and it's a teaching hospital, everybody, it was like, come feel Lynn's belly, like all of these medical students and stuff, you know, like everybody comes and feels your belly. That doesn't feel very empowering to just be like, you know, the, the teaching example of, oh, this is what what this
0: particular medical condition is like. Wow. So so then what happens? So you got your diagnosis and yep. then, yeah, where did that where did that shoot you off to? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I was told no
0: chemo, you have to take this new pill that they've
1: developed in the past few years. It's going to target what causes CML. You're going to go home, you're going to be on blood thinners. And so I'm like, okay, so I go home. And then I start seeing that hematologist that I hated in Santa Barbara that was so awful in the hospital there and start taking the medication. The medication makes me sick. I have like all this nausea, but when I take it, it's really stressful. And I spent about, well, the first year I was just trying to kind of recalibrate my life And then kind of when I felt like I had found some equilibrium, then I had another trauma in my life, which was my best friend suddenly passing away Mm -hmm. of a blood clot after having her tonsils removed. (sighs) So
0: weird and so sad.
1: It was just, like, it hit home. I think that yeah. was when I really, like, even though I think I thought about death when I got the diagnosis, when when she died, I was like, holy crap, 26-year-old people can't die. Yeah. And they can die of a blood clot, you know? It right. just was, like, to the core,
0: terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, obviously, you had to deal with moving through the grieving process in the middle of of that <laughs> being sick and being treated right. still like a guinea pig and right and not feeling well already so so when did you decide to start pursuing answers and figuring something else out I think it
1: was basically that experience of my friend and, and me seeking to a really dark depression for a few months, becoming kind of suicidal in, in the sense of like just wanting to let myself not take care of myself and just slip away. Mm-hmm. And then finally getting pulled back by family kind of saying, hey, you really need help. Like you're massively depressed and it's understandable. We don't blame you, but you're in a dark place and we need to get you some help. Wow. And, and so when I did get help for that and and I was in an inpatient um, mental health program for about five days to kind of stabilize me through that time period, um, that was, I came out of that and then I started to realize, oh, I don't really want to die. I just didn't know how to deal with all of this crap that just happened in my life in the past 18 months. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so I started therapy. My therapist sent me to this class that was called Yoga for Healing, which at first I was like,
0: what? Like, yoga isn't just done at a gym? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you had so much to learn at that point. <laughs> exactly. I mean,
1: I was I was just a girl from Idaho, you know, like I didn't really know about all of these alternative things. Like the most I had experienced was something called biofeedback when I was 12. And that was about as alternative as, you know, I knew about. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So I kind of opened
1: the the Pandora's box at that point, you know, then I started going for acupuncture. And then this um, guy who actually was the partner of a dance coach that I worked with, he um, did Reiki. And he's like, have you ever like experienced Reiki before? And I'm like, no but I'll try <laughs> well, <yeah>. it <laughs> and it was amazing it was like super profound you know I got up and he was like go look at yourself in the mirror and I looked at myself in the mirror and my face looked so different I looked so shiny and just energized
0: oh, that's awesome awesome so you did so you were doing all trying all these new things on your own uh, were you telling the doctors that you were doing all this stuff
1: Not really. I just kind of focused on doing, you know, what felt right and nothing that I was doing required, you know, taking anything that could counteract or, you know, work with work against medication. So I was like, you know, nobody seemed to listen to me in the process because I kept saying, you keep saying my lab tests look better, but why do I still feel so horrible? Like Mm -hmm. I, I was at one point down to I want to say my weight was down around 120, maybe just above 120. I was Mm -hmm. like, I look like a skeleton. It was not a healthy weight for my body. Yeah. And the doctor at one at times when I would say I didn't feel well would say to me that I looked great. And I was like, uh, people all around me are telling me you don't look great, not to lose weight. Like, why are you saying that in response to the statement, you don't? Fe- I don't feel well? It's because yeah. he just didn't want to deal with me. He just wanted to move on to the next patient.
0: Yeah. Ugh, sickening. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I get I so, no words. <laughs> so indignant at, you know, how doctors don't really listen to patients. Yeah. yeah. I mean – that's very stereotypical, but it is it's a stereotype for a reason because right. it happens so often, like those statistics that I need, I rattled off in the beginning like it, it's because of that right. it's because they have such short windows of time
1: right yeah he would and I would spend probably a I would spend probably an hour with him, you know or not an hour with him, an hour in the waiting room, yes, to see
0: him <laughs> and get five minutes with him yes, <laughs> yes. uh. So sad, I mean, no wonder why misdiagnosis has happened so frequently exactly, so so you were so you were on this journey to heal yourself. It sounds like, yeah, um, Yet you were still on the medication, still right. seeing these doctors so so yeah how Tell did I you find understand. out, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how did I
1: find out <laughs> yeah. so um after kind of struggling with trying to get second opinions, trying to get referred to a different hematologist and my primary doctor kept saying no, no, we went to medical school, this guy is great. Um you know, keep seeing him, he's the best. Um finally about 3 years in, I left the grad program that I was in and I had partly just stayed in it because I needed the health insurance at that point mm-hmm. because I needed to you know it wasn't considered something i could get cobra from at the time okay so i needed to get a job with health insurance in order to make that leap so i kind of just hung on for a bit even though i kind of was getting clearer and clearer yeah i'm not going to keep going down this path i just need this to kind of be my health insurance until like i'm well enough to be able to work. So that that took about three years to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And I found a job, got health insurance, left my program. And when I got the new health insurance, I could get a new primary doctor that wasn't in student health. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, I hate this hematologist. Who can you send me to? And she said, not a problem. Here's another doctor. And went to see that doctor, brought my medical records with me. They were probably about two inches thick of all these blood tests and all of this stuff mm-hmm. handed to him. He flips through it and he looks at it and he says, I don't even think this is CML. Oh, what did you see? I was like, I didn't really feel like it was, you know, like it was kind of a confirmation of something I felt on a deep level in my body. Well, mm-hmm. it makes sense. I'm not getting better. And then I was also really pissed that I had spent three years trying to get, you know, well, first of all, just, Going along with it. And then, as I got more and more of like, this doesn't feel right, I couldn't get help Mm -hmm. because I was trapped in the medical system of, you know, you need a referral to a specialist. Your primary doctor won't give you a new referral. Yeah. Wow. And I even had gone back to San Francisco in that time, like wanting them to review my case. And when I got there for that appointment, my file, even though I had been in the freaking hospital there for like 10 days, my file folder was empty when I went to see the hematologist in the outpatient setting. And I was like, how does that even happen? And so they're like, well, why are you here? I'm like, because I'd like a reevaluation of what's going on. And I never got it.
0: Wow. Wow. And at this point, so, you know, years into it, um did you feel like had you grown as were you just uh, like you are now like you were you're like kind of you're not going to take any shit (laughs) especially when it comes to what the doctors tell you you speak up you ask questions um were you already have you already developed this part of you at that that point were you still kind of I was still developing it. I mean, I think
1: if I really was the way I am now, I would have said to that primary doctor, I don't care if you went to medical school together and you think he's the best. I think he's horrible. You have to give me a different name and I would have just like, you know, held to my guns. Yeah, I didn't really feel like I could do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I hadn't
0: learned that yeah you can just (laughs) you can demand certain things and we need to advocate for ourselves and you can demand and we do have a voice that needs to be shared yeah definitely so so the doctor tells you that he believes just just from looking at some paperwork right and your lab work and everything Mm -hmm. um that you didn't have it right so what what happened after that Well, he said, of
1: course, I can't say that for definite sure today without doing more tests because Mm -hmm. tests are the way everything gets done medically. Yeah. So, you know, I think he did more labs. We had a schedule, yet another bone marrow biopsy to see, you know, maybe something had changed and went through that process. And he said, yeah, I don't think that was, I think it was a misdiagnosis. I don't think that ever was. It was... The condition that I had of clotting off the veins of the liver has never been correlated in anybody else with CML, but it is correlated with the correct diagnosis that I got, which is polycythemia vera. So it's like why they made that leap in San Francisco was basically probably off of one lab test that probably was either a false positive. It was somebody else's sample. We could never figure out exactly, you know, how that came about, but then, you know, it's like weighing the evidence. It's like one piece of evidence for that. All these other pieces of evidence pointing a different direction and why they went with that.
0: I have no idea. Wow. And why nobody looked beyond that. Right. Like, I mean, I've had the same thing happen with, with my healthcare. Um, I've had to fight for doctors to, to even look at another possibility. Yes. You know, I mean, I've had Google (laughs) (laughs) Google give me better information. Exactly. And then I take it to the doctor and, and the doctors, I've had a few that will look at something, you know, look further in and be like, wow. And I'm like, okay, well, so why do You know, I always wonder, why are we then told not to look at Google? I mean, I know that it can freak us out, and everything's cancer. (laughs) Um, But I have to admit, like, it has given me the power sometimes to go and really fight my case and have won several times. I mean, it actually saved my son's life. He had a misdiagnosis. Um, And it was Google that saved his life. (laughs) Wow. So, uh, I mean, it was ultimately the doctor that did the emergency surgery, but but had we just listened to the diagnosis, my son probably would have died. Wow. (laughs) So I get it. It's
1: crazy. It's just, ugh. So they they kind of have you know blinders on it's like well you know you came from this medical center in san francisco and they gave you this diagnosis so it must be right, right. you know and then i'm going to keep running a test for something that actually would never show up because it was never there in the first place and then i'm going to tell you the medication is making you better because that thing that was never there isn't there right.
0: it's like oh my god <laughs> and you're feeling like crap the whole time like the right, which crazy. which really makes, you know, it it suck when you're saying that and
1: somebody's like, "Well, I don't care. All I care about is the lab value that I'm looking at, not the person in front of me saying, you know, I don't feel well. I've like lost all this weight and I'm exhausted and, yeah. you know, you say I'm getting better. I feel like physically I'm getting
0: worse." Yeah. Terrible. So they did the blood work. They gave you the new diagnosis. How did things change from there? What? Definitely a lot favorite. of improvement.
1: You know, what wasn't improved by all of the things I was starting to explore holistically started to improve more because I went off of the medication that was not helping me and was actually just making me miserable mm-hmm. with all of the side effects I went on a medication that actually was the appropriate medication and started to address what was happening. And then I started getting actually uh, the correct treatment, which is something that's therapeutic phlebotomies. So they basically take off a bag of blood and they just throw it away. Unfortunately, nobody can even use it. Like, it always makes me really sad when they do that because I'm like, I have all these wonderful platelets and red cells and, you know, nobody can even have them. (laughs) oh poor little blood cells (laughs) it's like some you know some people don't make enough but it's just sad like like not to even have it be able to be something people can use for that purpose it just has to go in the trash
0: yeah so so you so you get the the uh i don't want to say bad blood but you know the unnecessary blood cells, cells out of you, you get that so you get a great therapy that you're still getting today, correct?
1: Yes, yeah, I still okay. go. In um,
0: fact, yeah. today I have an appointment this afternoon to okay.
1: go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you're feeling at this point though that starts making you feel better. Yes. Um, were you already were you doing yoga because you you started out your first career path in the holistic field was um, yoga therapy? Is that correct? biofeedback and and yoga yeah therapeutic yoga
1: then kind of branching more into yoga therapy like pursuing that as a credential
0: okay so so what you went through sparked your interest because you tried it for yourself you tried those things for yourself yes and you knew they made you feel better and so you started doing that as a career
1: yes yep yeah and, and that that all kind of happened. It got clear to me basically when I let go of, you know, being in the program I was in and I got the job that I had been scared at, you know, age 21, 22 to get. Uh-huh. Then I was like, oh, I know what I want to do with my life now. Like I, I remember the moment clearly of sitting in a biofeedback session and thinking to myself, Hey, I'd actually like to sit in that chair and help somebody do this someday. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's awesome. And and you knew those things were making you were helping in the whole healing process.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. So everything that I actually, you know, have trained in and that I still you know study they're all things that personally have helped me because I'm not really one to just sign up for a training because it's like oh that looks interesting it's like I actually usually have an experience with it and then I'm drawn into yeah I want
0: to learn how to do this. So after the new diagnosis and getting the different therapies um, was it kind of was it smooth sailing after that health-wise? I guess fairly although I had
1: kind of right around that time of all of that I we discovered I think it was in one of my first visits with the new primary doctor that I had a nodule on my thyroid so (laughs) so I had to go through that whole process of determining you know was it cancerous was it not did we need surgery the answer was yes I had to have it taken out and so that that was kind of the Last big hiccup before I started to really recover was going through thyroid surgery and then having to wait quite a while for thyroid replacement because they were arguing whether to do kind of the radioactive iodine that often is done. Mm-hmm. You know, the endocrinologist said, yes, we should do it. My hematologist was like, no, I don't really want her to have it because of her other issues they're arguing and then they're like we're not going to give you thyroid replacement until we figure out what we're doing oh. and let me tell you i now understand the importance of thyroid because i it was like winding to walk you know like a hundred feet from my bed to the bathroom when i had no thyroid hormone in my body
0: yeah 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 i have hypothyroid when it was really bad and i still had a thyroid but when it was really out of whack I could barely get off the couch. I mean, I could make it, I still had some hormone, so I could get <laughs> off the couch. I would work and then I would come home and get on the couch. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> and then it's very, very exhausting. <laughs> it is. It really is. So, so at this point, um, you were doing by, were you doing biofeedback? Professionally yes. at that point? Okay. Um, well I was kind of, tra- that was, let's see, 2007
1: was when I started to study, um, somatic psychology because I decided I needed a degree that was not history (laughs) to start to like have a context to work. With people. So I knew I wasn't going to be like a a talk therapist. I wasn't going to go that route, but I felt like I wanted that context so that when people would come in, I would kind of understand that. I would also know certain things, you know, if somebody came in with something that was way beyond what was appropriate for me to work on, you know, Hey, you need to see a therapist. I think that might be more helpful for you, or, you know, I can work with your therapist to help you. Yeah. So, that started,
0: I did the two-year program starting in 2007. Okay. And so this whole process, obviously, it set you on your career path that you are now. Um, and it helped you learn about that voice that you have to speak up for yourself and to advocate. What are some other key takeaways that you feel like it really changed you? Like what it did to make you who you are today? I think one of the, the biggest things was just
1: learning that, you know, I think I grew up just thinking, you know, symptoms were just kind of inconveniences, annoyances. I mean, I, I had horrible migraines as a teenager, and I don't think at that time I ever would have thought, what is this all about? I, I knew it was stress-related, that's for sure, but it didn't kind of spark in me an exploration of like, what needs to change in my life? Because this is a signal of something, and now I'm very much more, you know, whenever things happen in my body, I'm like, oh, well,
0: what is my body trying to communicate to me through this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you had said that it definitely taught you your own resilience. Yes. Um, you had said that before. Um, and that your body is resilient as well. Like, it's yes. definitely stronger than sometimes medical, uh, the medical industry or profession makes us believe, you know. Right.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm always in awe of my liver. You know, it's, it's adapted (laughs) to what it went through. And it's actually like the lobe that's supposed to be smaller is now the bigger lobe because it compensated. And, you know, now it's like, it's stable. It's been stable for years like that. You know, I haven't had any need to go back in and balloon things open. And I'm like, goodness, our livers are amazing. (laughs) Yeah, that
0: is so cool. Yeah, and adapted. You've adapted. Yes. And and you are resilient. That's that's a, I didn't know that. See, I didn't know that about your liver. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's always fun when I go in for an ultrasound just when they go to check, you know, like, is everything still good? Is it stable? Yeah. The tech is kind of like, you can tell they're perplexed because they're like, her liver looks different than like every other liver that I've
0: scanned before. Awesome. <laughs> I oh, have I a freakish that. liver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Um. So, so all this also then... Speaking of your liver and how it's adapted, and it's, and, and it, it you know, because the body, like you said, does talk to you mm-hmm. and it does change and, and, um, it is affected by emotions and all kinds of things. Um, you decided to start doing body talk at some yes. point because of all this, all this you were learning about your body. Um, and, when did you start doing body talk? Um, I think it was maybe
1: 2012 or 2013. I always can't quite remember okay. the, the year. <laughs> okay,
0: and what led you to body talk? I mean, besides this whole adventure, <laughs> um, <laughs> what was the one key thing? Did you meet somebody that did body talk? Did you, were you getting it done as a patient? I started getting it done after I
1: started having this pain in my knee that like came out of nowhere. That was, it was like not banging into things, falling down, like nothing, you know, like I look back through, okay, yeah, nothing mechanical happened to my knee. I spent three months trying to address it with other holistic therapies like acupuncture and chiropractic and massage and and working on it with yoga therapy. Mm -hmm. And it just, it wouldn't really resolve. It would get a little better and then it would get worse, a little bit better, worse, better, worse. And I remembered about three months into that, that I had met somebody the year before who said she did something called body talk. And it was kind of like the the mental Rolodex, you know, it was like, hey, remember that lady? Like, maybe yeah. she can help with this problem. Yeah. So that's who you went and saw I went and saw her and she kind of in that session helped me realize that what I had not connected the dots was right before the pain came on, I had gone through a traumatic experience with my parents, with my dad going through kind of a mental health crisis. They came to Oregon and stayed with me for a few weeks to try and get him stabilized, get him second opinion. And then, you know, I was working my own business at that time. And anybody who's self-employed knows you take two weeks off and then you're kind of like, okay, I better start working again. Like, you know, there's no paid time off and I just jumped back into work and my knee was like, Hey, you didn't even take any chance (laughs) to like acknowledge what just happened there Lynn. (laughs) Hold your horses.
0: (laughs) Uh, That's um, that's one of the things I've heard you say, I think it was in the book, and you also said um, a philosophy or quote that you really like, uh, and I don't know, was this in your book? It's, when we listen to our body, when we listen to our body's whispers, we, we don't, don't have, have to hear, to hear it, them scream. scream. Yeah, I think it's a Friedrich Nietzsche quote. Okay that
1: I found and I've always always resonated with it because I feel like I've had so many experiences where my body was kind of whispering or like tapping, you know, gently on the glass pane and like, excuse me, something's going on here. Yeah. And, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm too busy. You know, like, (laughs) leave me alone. (laughs) Oh, that's normal. I'm supposed to be miserable. I'm in grad school. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, yeah, it gets louder and
0: louder. And then finally it's, it just screams at us. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. You said that, you know, it was tapping at you like, you know, you're miserable. You're like, well, I'm supposed to be. Or like when you were sick, when you are going through the height of your sickness, you were probably just, your body was telling you like something's not right, and you're like, "Well, of course something's not right. <laughs> I'm really <laughs> yeah, sick. <laughs> I, I, I'm sick." <laughs> Even though there was a little voice in my head that's like,
1: "It still doesn't feel like this I is definitely. quite right," you know. So I, yeah. I was starting to kind of get that. It just yeah. it was like, again, being kind of stuck in this box of like, "But nobody's going to help me." Like I, I'm trying to ask for help, but you know, "Oh no, it's CML. Believe
0: us, it's yeah, it's CML, and it's getting better." Wow. Okay. Wow. So so now you help other people um, listen to their body whispers yes. <laughs> before before they're <laughs> Or, they turn some, the or, or when sometimes they're, they're screaming. screams. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I will share all the information on the show notes and um, in advertising about all the different modalities you work with, but um, they're all they all kind of go back to this core of just working with the signals and the clues that your body is already showing you, you help people kind of bring them to, you bring them to back to balance. Um, meditation. I always forget what's the last, what's the newest one you have started? It's called Emres. MRes. M-res. So yes. Emotional resolution. Yes. <laughs> um, which was, is really, really cool too. I think you've tried it yourself. Yes. Yeah. Another reason why you now do it it with other people. And um, sounds like you've had good success with that as well. Mm -hmm. Besides this last year, (laughs) which has just been nuts and super trying on everybody in every way for their health, mental health, physical health. For the most part, how do you feel now that you've Like health-wise? Yeah, health-wise. You're being taken care of correctly and you're taking care of yourself. For the most part, how do you feel?
1: I feel pretty pretty good. You know, I can tell, like, I I have a few little subtle signals that, oh, it's probably time for them to take some blood off. Mm -hmm. I, you know, get, I notice a little bit more fatigued when I'm getting to that point. I get a little itchy skin that happens after I shower. That's my other little, "Eh, it might be time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So your little whisper. Yeah, it's a little whisper, you know. Sometimes it's annoying when the skin itches, but yes. I'm like, okay, I should go get a lab test if it, if it's been, you know, more than a few weeks, and just see where my values are. And, but, and I'm yeah. sure,
0: and I'm sure that during um, this this time of smoother sailing, you've probably had some times where you weren't feeling good, or like you were saying, you were having these little tells. Um, have you had any more times that you've had to really stand up for yourself medically since then? Um,
1: the one that pops to mind was I went and saw an endocrinologist that like the one I had been seeing, she wound up going to a, a system. She went into Kaiser and I don't have Kaiser, so I couldn't see her. Mm-hmm. Had a primary doctor refer me to somebody else. And that I think I saw her once and she kept trying to argue with me that when my thyroid level got my dose got decreased that no it wasn't possible that the reason the past six weeks I needed a nap every day was because it was too low oh and she's like God. in fact it's still too high we need to reduce it and I'm like oh, nope <laughs> goodbye I'm not coming back here like no yeah. this is ridiculous yeah that she wouldn't even entertain the fact that you know I live in this body every day and I know what changed six weeks ago and how I started to feel after that change took place, yeah,
0: exactly. So I'm sure you stood up for yourself.
1: Yep. Yes. But, well, I think in that appointment, I was just thinking to myself, yeah, she's going to say all of this. Like I said to her, I, you know, I disagree with you, and then I knew I just was never going to go back. Yeah. Like, you know, good for you. Is,
0: this is not the doctor for me. <laughs> no, you learned your lesson. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, if you were to give anyone advice. Um, about how to work with your doctors when you know something's not right what would you say I would say
1: you know trust that that gut sense or that little whisper in your head if you feel like it's not right even if they want to argue with you everything is perfectly right you know we're we're right on track get a second opinion get a third opinion if you feel like you need it you know, speak up and don't be afraid. Cause I think in the beginning I was afraid, you know, I thought doctors were just, you know, they've gone to medical school and they knew everything. And here I am just, you know, a 20 year old, 25 year old, you know, woman, what do I know? And now it's like, you are the expert of your own body. So Mm -hmm. just that doesn't, that's not something to be taken lightly that you know, what doesn't feel right, what feels right in your body. And if they don't want to listen, then,
0: bye. (laughs) Yeah, find somebody that will listen because there are doctors that do listen. It's it's just unfortunately can be hard to find. Um, So thank you so much. Your story is very inspiring and in fact anytime I have sought medical care since meeting you, um, because I don't know why, sometimes I still go revert back to that old version of me that doesn't speak up. I don't know why that Mm -hmm. happens. Who knows? It could just be a way I'm feeling at that moment or whatever. Um or I have spoken up and had so much backlash. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's happened a lot, that it kinda shrinks right. me for a moment. But I just want to say that um I have thought of you several times. Aww. For real. So I'm like awesome. I need to I need to channel Lynn right now. <laughs> <laughs> so um so I appreciate it. Thank you for sharing your story. And um if you do wanna know all for all of those listening you do want to know more about Lynn (laughs) and you do want to know about her book and all the wonderful work she's doing to help other people right now that will be in the show notes as well. So thank you, Lynn. I don't know about you, but this last year living with all the social unrest and pandemic stuff has felt extra stressful and overwhelming sometimes. And you probably already know that stress not only feels bad, obviously, but can also weaken your immune system. So if you're struggling, I highly recommend visiting Lynn's website, heartfirehealingllc.com. When you're there, you can get her free inner peace guided meditation. And you can also find links to Lynn's digital courses, group programs, and one-on-one work to help you with your anxiety, pain, emotional triggers, trauma, and even weight loss. And you can purchase her book, You Are Not Your Diagnosis, an Amazon bestseller, and one I totally endorse. Connect with Lynn at heartfirehealingllc.com. That's H-E-A-R-T-F-I-R-E-healingllc.com. Hey, thanks for listening to my podcast, The Dragonfly Connection. If you have your own inspiring story that you would like to share, please go to my Instagram account. At the Dragonfly Mama. Send me a direct message and we will set it up to chat. In the meantime, have a wonderful week and we'll be back with a new episode next Wednesday. Take care.